0: Welcome to the Summit Church podcast. We're going to continue our series with a light, slight adjustment. Um, the series has been uh, follow the leader, but. The Lord has just been dealing with my heart that as we're learning about discipleship and developing discipleship in our lives, we need to understand what that means really. And Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, this is our text this morning if you have your Bibles or you're looking on the screen. He said this in John chapter 8 verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples in other words you are truly a disciple of mine if you do what i say if you do what i've taught you to do when jesus gave us the commission when he ascended to the heaven after he died and resurrected and he sent to the heaven before he did that he told the disciples go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son the holy spirit and teaching them to do all that i've taught you to do and so We're going to shift now in this series about discipleship or follow the leader. And we're going to talk about the teachings of Jesus. So we're going to look particularly at his teaching. What did he say? And we're going to find out that when we really take the whole picture of Jesus, his will, his word, and his ways, then we get a complete understanding of what he was saying, what he was doing. And right now in church culture, in the world's culture, in a lot of different facets of our society, people misunderstand who Jesus is and what he was about. And we cannot allow that to happen, not to us you understand? Not to Christians, not to believers. We have to stick by what God says, not what the world says. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. Let's read it one more time together, everybody. John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 29 as a subtext. And everyone read, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's take one more text, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Father, we thank you for your word today. Teach us, God. We need revelation of who you are, We need to know what you had to say and how it impacts our lives. And so, Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. Enlighten our minds and open our understandings that we may receive your word and that it may produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you can be seated. great worship this morning. Amen. I love worshiping God with the family of God. Don't you, you know, so many great stories, uh, right now we're hearing in the lives of people who are being discipled and who have, uh, and are discipling others. And it's like at our staff meeting, we always would say, I would always say to people, look, Uh, to our staff, I'd say, let's tell me a testimony. What are you hearing that's going on well in the church? And so we'd we'd think really hard, what's happening? What good thing is happening? Because we want to start our staff with something good. And there were good things that were happening and we would be able to say that. But listen, since we've been taking on this purposeful and intentional discipleship, we have more stories about things that are happening in people's lives that are miraculous and life-changing and Prayerful, and so there, this this connection that we're making by taking this intentional uh, discipleship role and life, it changes people's lives, and it doesn't shouldn't surprise us that it changes people's lives because this is the way that Jesus set it up. Jesus said, "This is the way you should do it." And so I don't know why we think we need to improve on what Jesus did, but we really don't. We could just do what he did and what he says, and we can experience good things. Amen. Everybody look at me and say, amen. amen. Come on, smile at me or something. Let me know you're here and it's all good. So that's what we're doing. So I want to encourage you, if you're looking at somebody who, if you're wanting to be somebody who is discipled and you say, man, I really, really, I need to go deeper. I need to understand. I don't really know enough about Jesus. I don't know enough about the word of God. I I, I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody who will lead me down that path. Well, just Please connect with us here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you an email. Connect at yoursummitchurch.com. Connect at yoursummitchurch.com and just say, I would like to be discipled. And then what we're going to do is we're going to hook you up with somebody who is ready to disciple you. Maybe you're a person who say, you know what, I've, I'm growing in the Lord. I'm developing in the Lord. I feel like I want to disciple someone. Well, then you send an email too and you let us know that so that we can talk to you and train you and develop you and get you ready to do that very thing. So I just want to encourage you. I want you to understand that these are these are awesome things that we're doing. And this is what God has asked us to do. I've told you many times about what happened to me in, you know, last October and how God spoke to me about he wants to do something new and everybody was so desperate, God, do something. And, and how many are any less desperate <laughs> right now? I feel like I'm more desperate right now that God needs to do something in our nation and our world than ever before. How many would agree with that? And so I'd been praying that, and the Lord just spoke to me. I want to do something new, but I'm going to do something old to achieve something new. And he's taken me back to this thinking about discipleship, that we have to be these kind of people like he was to his disciples and like they were to their disciples. And how powerful it is that we can lead people to be disciples of Jesus and help that process along it's very important that we do this now this may sound a little bit more less inspirational than normal and it may sound a little bit more educational informational than normal but the truth is the bible is very clear that this is something that every believer is supposed to be doing it's not something that occupational staff members are supposed to be doing it's something that every believer is supposed to be doing that it's our role if we say i follow jesus i believe in jesus my role is to bring other people into to relationship with Jesus and help them along their spiritual journey that's what God has called each and every one of us to do I will go a step further although we as an occupational staff are doing that we're doing it not because we're on staff we're doing it because we're Christians are you hearing me we're not doing it nobody's doing it because it's their job description we're doing it because it's our mission as a Christian this is what we're supposed to be doing Now, what the truth is, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us is that God gives gifts to the church. Pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. He gives those gifts to the church to equip the church for ministry. Who's the church? Exactly. So my role is to give you the equipment to do the thing that God asks us to do. That's my role. That's... uh, Did y'all know I was a gift to y'all? Did you know that? I am a gift to you. Some of you are like, well, I don't know about all that. But the truth is, spiritually speaking, your pastors, your leaders were given to you by God as a gift to say, hey, listen, this is what. We want to do. We don't look here at Summit Church. We love Sunday. We love worship experience. It's so important. It's absolutely paramount. It's it's absolutely. I wish every Sunday there were no empty chairs and we were adding chairs every Sunday. You know why? Because that's what Jesus said for us to do in His Word. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, "Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together." Uh, uh, it's, It's good for edification. It's good for building one another up. It's good for worship. It's good, and the, and the closer you get to the end, the more you should be making sure you're getting together. So when we're doing the opposite of that, we're going against what the Word says. And so we need to get ourselves together and say, hey, am I, am I really being lax in my relationship with God by not studying like I should, not praying like I should, not gathering like I should, all of that. It's a great thing to do. It's what will spur your spiritual life on, okay? It's what will get your spiritual walk to move to another level. Is being around other believers that can build you and strengthen you. You know what any leader, good leader, would say to you? They would say, "You probably heard a coach say this at one time or another. Um, if you'll show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your future." And the truth is, that's that is a correct statement. And you know where that statement actually came from? The Bible. Because the Bible tells us in Corinthians that when you surround yourself with the wrong people, it corrupts your morals. Okay, everybody going to be quiet now. It's the truth. So we need to think of, God, what is affecting and influencing my life? So that's why it's good to be in church, edifying one another, building one another up, encouraging one another, taking notes, learning, studying, getting a revelation from God for who God is. Doing all of this is very important. But church is not the Super Bowl. A lot of times we treat church like it's the culmination of our spiritual walk, but it's not. Church is not the culmination of our spiritual walk. Church is not the exclamation point to our spiritual walk. Church is the inception of our spiritual walk. Church is the beginning point, the starting point. You right now, you're setting in the gate. You hear me? You're you're sitting in the barn. You're 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 like a horse about to race and you're sitting in the barn and I'm putting a saddle on you and I'm putting the equipment on you by teaching you the word of God so that you'll go out tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday and actually play the game. This is practice. This is preparation. This is getting it together so that you can go play the game. And what I believe is going to happen, and what our goal is, is that the end of, I guess now, uh, uh, a year to two years, because we've only almost been talking about this for six months, we said our goal was that a year and a half to two years, every person who calls them at Church home will be discipling at least one person. That's our goal, that's our desire, that's what we believe God's calling us to do. And you say, well, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. It, it really doesn't matter. Well, it may not be my gift, so? Yeah. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world if it's your gift. Right. Jesus did not say, you know, we've taught, we talk so much about our gifts and our strengths, and we want to play to our spiritual gifts and strengths. We don't want to be wasting time doing things that we're really not strong at. We would rather operate and function in those things that we are strong, but but let's be honest. There are things that have to be done that do not relate to our gift, and one of them is discipling people. You may not be this... Gregarious personality that would talk to anybody, but that doesn't matter. You can disciple somebody who's also an introvert. Yeah, good. Come on, because yeah. you know they hate those people that are gregarious. <laughs> see, you see what I'm saying? It's not about your gift. It's about what Jesus said to do. Oh, we, we okay. This is why He said, "Deny yourself." Take up your cross and follow me. Because we have these things that pop up when we hear what Jesus says to do. We have this thing that pops up that is called self. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, every day I crucify myself. Every day I die to myself. Jesus, when he called us, he said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But he didn't just say that. He said, daily. Daily. Every day I'm saying to myself, you know what? I'm not in charge. God, you're in charge. God, I'm not making the plan. You're making the plan. God, I'm going to do what I know you called me to do, and I know you're going to guide and direct me to do that. This is not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my desires. It's not about what I like. It's not about where I'm gifted or where I'm not. It's about, God, what do you want me to do? And the answer is already yes. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what being a disciple looks like. In other words, I'm following the leader. I remember when, I don't know why this happened in the Old Testament, but when Joshua had, you know, Moses had died and Joshua had taken, he was taking on the leadership. And he, he, he was, he was in the situation where God was empowering him. He's saying, don't fear Joshua. You know, and, and, if, and if you were Joshua, you would be afraid. And, and I'll tell you why you'd be afraid. Not, you, you're not afraid of Jericho. You know God's got, God walked you across the Red Sea. You know God could take Jericho. Joshua wasn't afraid of Jericho. Joshua wasn't afraid of taking on the enemies of Canaan. Joshua was afraid of his own people. He was afraid they wouldn't follow. He's afraid they wouldn't go. He's afraid they wouldn't treat him like they treated Moses. And God said, you be courageous and don't fear and you stand up and do what I've called you to do and I'll take care of the rest. But then God told him, he said, the people have been so disobedient and they've been so doubtful. And I've had to destroy so many of them and judge so many of them. He said, I'm going to send you up to Canaan and I'm going to anoint you to do it, but I'm not going Uh, In other words, he was saying, I'm not going to be with you in the way that I've been with you before. We're not going to have this intimate close. You're not going to see the things that you saw before. It's not going to be like it was before. And Joshua said, well, then neither am I going. You're not going, I'm not going. You go, I go. That's how this works, God kind of like that funny relationship that Moses had with God. There were times that Moses would say, God, just destroy them. They're disobedient. They're disrespectful. They don't care about you. They don't care about what you want. Just come on, open up the earth and take them all. Swallow them all. Kill them all. It's kind of like the disciples in the new Testament. Burn them, God. Jesus like, I didn't come to burn them. But Moses is like, and God said, now listen, Moses, we're going to work with them. It's going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. And then there were other times where God said, Moses, I'm going to kill these people. I, they're not worth anything. Moses was like, now hold on, God. The whole point of our relationship with God is just that. Relationship. Intimacy. Closeness. We're not just trying to know God or have a relationship with God to go to heaven. The point wasn't to go to heaven. Heaven is a manifestation or a result of knowing God. But heaven is not the ultimate goal. Knowing God is the ultimate goal. Jesus said, if you follow me, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he didn't say no one comes to heaven except through me. He said no one comes to the Father Except the whole point of the ministry of reconciliation was to get humanity back into a relationship with God. It was the whole point. So then our point then is as disciples and followers of Jesus is to have an intimate, close, connected Communicable relationship with Him, where we're pouring our heart out to Him, and He's pouring our, His heart out to us. It's a symbiotic relationship where the characteristics that are on God that are communicable come from Him to us, and we can have those same types of characteristics. We can be holy as He is holy. We can live in victory as He gives us victory. We can walk in righteousness because He is righteous. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is a relationship. It's a. It's a. It's an association. It's a connection. It is, a, it is a life. It is not merely a religious experience or a cultural expression. It is a relationship with the person. Every single originator of any religion, major religion that is on the face of the planet in this world right now, every one of them, their, their tombs can be found. And inside their tombs, their bones. Not ours. Amen. You can find his tomb, but you can't find his bones. Why? Because, the, because they hit him. They pulled him out and hit him. His disciples took him out and hit him. And he wasn't really dead. The stupid things people believe. Well, how do you know? Well, you know historically what his experience was. You can't live through that. And we know historically... It's a proven fact that he rose again from the dead because even secular writers who weren't Christians wrote about the historical fact that he was seen by over 500 different people after he died. Do you realize that the Bible even says there were families that were reunited with their dead family members when Jesus died? Do you realize that? That You you may not have gotten close enough into the reading when you read that. That the Bible says when Jesus said it is finished and thunder began to roll and lightning began to strike. In the middle of the day it went dark. Boom, cemeteries started opening up and dead people started walking out. They weren't zombies, they were resurrected. (laughs) Did y'all know the Bible says that? Y'all need to read the Bible, it's a fun book. Stop binging on stuff. Read the Bible. It's far more adventurous. It's a relationship. Discipleship is a relationship. It's a relationship between a teacher and a student. It's a relationship between a rabbi and his Talmudim. It's a relationship between someone who needs to know and someone who knows. And I'm excited to talk about this part of the series because it, 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 it truly has... The potential to revolutionize your life. I mean, I mean, it could th- it could shift your thinking in such a way that it could, it could change who you are if you really grab a hold of it. I'm not I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to hype it up. I'm not trying. Listen, it's changing me to think of things in these terms and to have these kind of relationships and have this ongoing discipleship in my life because it, it feels like something is happening. There's something being generated in the spirit. Something being done in someone's soul, in someone's heart. And you think you don't need it. You need it. Every single person, every single believer should either be disciple should be being discipled and discipling someone. Every believer. For, not, not for a seed. Well, that's what, we, that's what we do. That's what we do when we first get saved and give our life to Jesus. We got all that zeal. And we're out all that excitement. Then we, I don't know why I'm talking like that. That's, I, that's my voice for people who believe but make excuses. I don't know. But and we take that class and they just get us ready for, and then that's it. We're discipled. No, this is life. This is a lifestyle. There are people sitting on the same row as you that have been serving God and have stories to tell you and have principles to give you and have words to speak over your life that could revolutionize and change your life just by regularly meeting with them and saying, hey, let's hang for coffee and let's grow together. Yes. Oh, so good. This is why the, the Apostle Paul said, older people, you need to be paying attention to the younger people in the church. Younger people in the church, you need to be paying attention to the older people in the church. And what do we do? Everything we do, segments and segregates. No. We need to make connections. Well, if the church would do a program. Stop it with the programs. Do you know what what happens when churches do programs? People who are very attracted to programs get involved and everybody else doesn't. I've been doing this for a long time. I can tell you that as a fact. And it's the very people that said, well, if the church had a pro," I, I cannot tell you the amount of times someone has come up to me. Not here. Not here. In other churches a long time ago. But, but people have come up to me and said, man, we should really do this ministry. And I tell you what, we need to do this ministry. And I don't know why we don't do this ministry. And Gadbury, you need to do something about this and get this ministry going. And then we do it. And who doesn't show up for it? Who doesn't? That person doesn't show. Well, I had some things change in my life, and I got busy, and now I can No. Nope. And so now what I say is if you have a call for a ministry on your life, get to it, baby. Go for it. Because it, God wasn't calling me to do it. He's calling you to do it. And we think this programmatic way that if I have this passion about something that God is stirring in my heart, I should go give it to my pastor and ask him to do it. C- come on, are y'all are y'all here? No, no. He's asking you to do it. You're a disciple. Come on, everybody. We should be helping people. Well, then help somebody. It always drives me crazy about people who want people who want somebody else to help somebody because it needs to be done. You saw. I had I, one time. I remember we were teaching on excellence in in. Uh, um, in, in a in a church, many years this really was many years ago, and I was teaching on church and creating the wow factor. We want people to feel comfortable. We want to be hospitable, and we want to make sure everything is excellent and clean. I said, so man, it doesn't have to be your job. If something's not clean, just take care of it. Don't don't say, well, it's not my job. Go take care of it. You know, we had a very huge staff and a very big church, and so we're teaching them excellence, excellence, and let's do this. And and then I had one lady, one lady come to me in a meeting a couple of days later, and she said, I just want you to know. She's on her staff, she said, I just want you to know. After you said that in the in that teaching, after you said that, I watched, and four people walked by a piece of trash that was right in the lobby, it was obvious to everyone, and they just walked by. You know what my question was? Why didn't you pick it up? You're sitting there there watching everybody. Pastor David, they didn't do what you said. No, you didn't do what I said. Now, that sounds funny and silly, but the truth is, a lot of times, that's how we live our Christianity. We hear things that, that's right, that needs to be done. We need to do that. Their change needs to be made. Yet we want somebody else to do it. And this is the thing that changes when you start being a disciple. When you start really understanding what discipleship is. So we want to talk about the teachings of Jesus. So let's just kind of give a, let's get, let's kind of give a preface of what that means. That we're going to talk about teaching Jesus. Number one, Jesus' teaching was different than, than what they'd been used to. They hadn't been used to hearing somebody like Jesus because he spoke as someone who was authentic and real. He he spoke like the concepts and lessons and words were coming directly from him, not some traditional thing that he had heard from a teacher who had heard from a teacher who had heard from a teacher. This sounded like this was coming right out of his own soul because it was coming out of his own soul. We forget who this man was. John describes him as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shone in darkness and the darkness comprehended of course what he was saying was coming out of him because he is God and when they heard him teach they were like man this is different this is different wasn't like the other teachers the second thing is Jesus and his teaching was a culmination and fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It wasn't opposed to what God already said. It was complementary to what he already said. So I just want to say this as a disclosure. If you hear somebody preaching and teaching that we don't need the Old Testament, get away from them as fast as you can get away from them because they're heretical and they're going to end up leading you astray. The New Testament is built upon the Old Testament. It doesn't mean some things didn't change in the way we perceive it or have perspective of it. But you're going to find as we study the teachings of Jesus that he wasn't doing away with the law and the prophets. He was fulfilling the law and the prophets. And they were being culminated in his person and in his teaching. The third thing is Jesus' teaching was countercultural, confrontational, and challenging it is why it always cracks me up when people say well i can accept jesus as a good prophet he was a good teacher he, jesus loved everybody he would never get on to anybody he would never make a judgment he would never he would never correct i just don't like institutional religion i just like jesus you would not have liked jesus jesus teachings were countercultural they were confrontational and they were challenging have you ever seen me build a whip and start swinging it at people? Have You ever seen me go out back here to this youth table and just knock it over? Say, somebody better start praying at this table or we're going to have a problem. Have you ever seen me do that? Jesus did that. Little sweet Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't kind. I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't love. But to say his teaching was mainstream or to say his teaching wasn't confrontational or his teaching wouldn't convict you or correct you or challenge you. Listen, you got anywhere around Jesus. If you had sin in your life, you wanted to change. You hear me? Everybody say amen. amen. I'm almost done. Just a few more hours. So. The fourth thing is Jesus' teaching was insightful, and it was inspiring. So he was he was counter to the culture. He was confrontational. He was challenging, but he was also insightful, and he was inspiring. And Jesus' teaching, whether you want to believe it or not or whether you like it or not, it was controversial. The things he was saying. He had one moment where he taught about. The Eucharist. He taught about the bread and the wine. He taught about my body and my blood. And he lost most of his followers. He lost most of his followers. Because what he said was controversial. They said literally. This is too hard. This is a hard saying. We're out. In other words. This is controversial. Too much for me. Got to go. Are you with me? Jesus' teaching was accompanied by supernatural occurrences. Because Bible says signs follow those who declare the word of the Lord. And when Jesus would speak the word of the Lord, people just get healed, people get changed, miraculous things would happen. And by the way, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did miracles then, he'll do them now. There's no legitimate theology, not legitimate theology that actually would claim that God will not do today what he did then. If they say that, they're illegitimate, because then how do you explain that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change? How do you explain that all good gifts come from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, shadow of change in him? How do you explain that he said, I'm not a respecter of persons, so if I did it for you, I'll do it for you? Well, that season's over. Who said that season's over? Did Jesus say that season's over? Well, it said that when that which perfect is come, then these things will cease to exist. Well, it was talking about spiritual gifts, and it was also talking about the end of all things. It was an eschatological eschatological statement that was saying when everything's wrapped up, when things are perfect, when we are transfigured, there'll be no need for any of that because we won't have need of it. Oh, come on, y'all. Just sitting there like you don't know what's going on. To be an effective disciple, we must practice the spiritual disciplines that cause us to grow and develop in the knowledge and revelation of the teaching of Christ and his word. We are to submit and surrender to his will. We are to observe and practice his ways. Let me tell you where the devil has been effective. He's been effective at convincing human beings that being a believer is no fun he he's been uh, successful at teaching a culture or tempting a culture out of their belief that god is the best life And living in the abundance of Christ is the best life because he said it's no fun. And why he says it's no fun is right here. It's it's, it's right here because we have to to submit to his will and we have to surrender to his ways and we have to to follow his word. And, and, And the problem isn't his word or his will or his ways. It's two operative words that none of us like to hear. Have to. The devil has convinced humanity that rebellion is a better choice than life. It's so funny, and, and do we not see it? Do we not see that how secular humanism has changed our thinking, and how now we think we're the center of the universe instead of God is the center? of the universe? Even in churches now, we're teaching and preaching as if God's not the center of the message; we're the center of the message. You're not the center of the message. Jesus is the subject. You're the direct object. Are you with me? Some of you English majors are like, yes, yes, that's right. So to effectively understand the teaching of Jesus, we need to study them in their original cultural context and then interpret and apply them to our current circumstances. Now, I'm going to teach this stuff because we're following the teachings of Jesus. I may get a little inspired and jump up and down or whatever and yell, but but I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to try to articulate these teachings in a way that you can actually walk out of here and say, I can apply that to my life right now. And right now, we're not even going to get to that part, but I'm laying a foundation. So he taught on subjects and topics like everything from theology, eschatology, soteriology, which is the study of salvation, major themes like forgiveness, Like proper business practices, yes. How to handle money. He talked about idolatry. He taught about righteousness. He taught about truth. He taught about justice. And he showed us how truth and justice are married. And if you have justice without truth, you have no justice. And if you have truth without justice, you have no truth. He taught us about faith. And the power of it. He taught us about agreement. He taught us about the body of Christ. He taught us about redemption. Jesus' New Testament teachings cannot be divorced from the Old Testament teaching because the scriptures that he refers to in the New Testament are from the Old Testament. It's the only scriptures he had. It's so funny to me how we think the New Testament church had the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament until many years after Jesus died and resurrected, and they passed the letters around to different churches, and they began to be inspired and understand that those words were from God. There is a direct correlation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Why? Because many of the concepts he teaches and practices in the New Testament are foreshadowed from the Old Testament. That communion that we did earlier that was foreshadowed by the passover from the jewish people and their deliverance from Israel, i mean from uh, from uh, egypt it is a it is a visual image of redemption and what Jesus was going to do on the cross. So we're just, we just going to throw out the Old Testament? No, Jesus' teachings were based and founded up on the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that we are bound by the law. We are not bound by the law. We're only bound by one law. That's the law of love that Jesus gave to us. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something that's very important to all of us. He said, those two laws, love the Lord God, love others, Wrap up the entire of the rest of the law. So then God, when you're saved, he doesn't give you a list of rules. He takes those two laws and writes them on your heart. And now instead of you having to follow a list of rules and regulations, you from the inside of yourself, from a born-again experience in your spirit, now being regenerated, now now, you want to, to love your neighbor. Now you want to love God. Now when you do things... When you do things that are opposite of the love of God, you're convicted about it. And you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't loving God. And and, and then when you do something that fits that last five, you know, like coveting or adultery or any of that, then you, you do something against your neighbor. You know, I have gone out of bounds. Holy Spirit, forgive me, change me, renew me. Are you with me? There, has, there is a, a, this idea that has infiltrated the church that there are no standards, no objective standards that God has established for us because it's all about a relationship. Well, listen, there are parameters in relationships. Come on, somebody. There are rules in your relationship, whether they're spoken or unspoken. If I treat my wife disrespectfully, it's going to have some consequences. Oh, I guess I'm the only one, gentlemen. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never experienced that, Pastor. (laughs) Listen, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. But in that relationship, there's something that happens spiritually to our hearts that changes us. God writes his law, the Bible says in Jeremiah, on our hearts. And when he does, you know what it does? It makes me want to love him. Why? Because he gave his life for me. Why do I love Jesus? Because he loved me first. That's right. right? The Passover foreshadows redemption. There are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. It's, it's astronomical and it's absolute, the odds of that are impossible. It's an absolute impossibility, but it, is, it actually does exist. So it just proves that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, was the Son and is the Son of God. The law points us to desperate need that we have to be saved. Yeah, Why did God send the law? Because the law couldn't save us. The law just knowing a rule can't make you right. You can try to follow it, but in your own ability, you're probably gonna break it. And that's what God was trying to tell us. Look, in your own ability, you cannot be righteous. You have no ability. You could bring the most righteous part of yourself to me and say, look at all the good righteous things I did. And God would say, that is like filthy rags to me. Get it out of my presence. But if you want to be righteous, I've made a way through the death of my son who died and shed his own blood so that your sins could be forgiven and so that your life could be changed. Somebody, I heard a pastor friend of mine say this week, "I I know the church is a hospital. But we act as if sometimes the church is a hospital that you can never leave. It's like Hotel California. You're just perpetually sick. That's nonsense. That's wrong theology. It is a hospital for those who are sick and those who are ill and those who are sinfully messed up by sin. But at some point, those people get well and they get up out of their bed and they start becoming doctors and nurses and they start healing other people. So the teachings that we were going to study today was the first sermon that Jesus preached and we're going to do that next week. So stand in with me. And we're going to take up, and I'm going to teach you from, a, from its context and then how we can apply it to our life, the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus was trying to say. See, a lot of us look at the Sermon on the Mount like it was a general idea, this is how people should be. Or if you're this kind of person, these are the results that will happen. That's what was, Jesus wasn't saying that at all. Because what Jesus did is He was being surrounded by crowds But He had something He wanted to say to His disciples So He went up On the side of a mountain and sat down And then His disciples The twelve followed Him up the mountain And when they sat down He preached His first sermon And He told them what the expectation Of the life of a disciple Should be And buddy let me tell you It's going to Get, put your big boy pants on when you come next week. Get ready because it's going to challenge some of our current cultural thinking. And it should. And it's going to change us. And it's going to renew us. And it's going to make us new as we get it in our hearts and we let it manifest in our lives. Amen. Man, God's word is so rich, isn't it? So good. I just. Oh, mm. Love it. We love the word. I want to encourage you. I, I'm closing. It's a, man, we got plenty of time left. I could just have you stand here for a while. I'm joking. I want to start encouraging you. Let's 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 start doing this again. Let's bring your Bibles to church. Now, now I know we got digital things, and I'm fine if you use a digital look, I've got an iPad right here. I'm fine if you do your devotionals on, on, on the on the phone or whatever you do But I, I want to encourage you to make sure That whatever you're using To study the word and whatever you're using When you come to church to study the word That it, you cannot be distracted by anything else on it So if your phone is distracting you While you're trying to study and learn the word Get your phone out of the picture Get a Bible back out And start reading, reading from here I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing devotions On the phone I just know phones can be very distracting Amen? <laughs> as you go, not me. I'm not, I'm not distracted. So I want to encourage you just to, to, to really focus in for the next few weeks as we study the teachings of Jesus. And I'm telling you, if we will submit our hearts, it will absolutely change our lives. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God use today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.